Today I'd like to talk about heaven and earth, where heaven and earth intersect and interact. Does heaven intersect with the earth? Have you ever thought about that? Does it somehow interact with the earth? If so, how? Is it a gateway? Is there a ladder between earth and heaven? Is there some kind of portal in which heaven and earth somehow meet and connect? If so, where is it? And how do I find it? Can I access it, right? The heavenlies. This preoccupation with heaven permeates every human heart. It is something that we all are intrigued with, something we all desire, something God put deep within us. It's innate. It's part of who we are. Now, surprisingly, heaven is actually readily available to be accessed for those who truly and passionately seek it. So let's explore the gateway to heaven. You know, when I was thinking of this teaching, I, I, I just couldn't get away from Led Zeppelin, The Stairway to Heaven. I mean, it's one of the all-time greatest rock and roll songs ever. I'm not saying it's good or holy in any sense of the word. And I'm not saying it's bad either. I'm saying it was one of the most popular rock and roll songs of all time, The Stairway to Heaven. Why? Because everyone, believers, unbelievers, it doesn't matter. We all desire to connect with the spiritual realm. So we're going to go back to one of the earliest parts of the scriptures that lays out for us this idea that these two realms not only intersect, but interact. This is the story of Jacob early on in Genesis chapter 28. We'll pick up verses 10 through 22. Jacob's already pulled his big bad stunt stealing the birthright of his brother, getting the father's blessing, and now has to leave to go get a wife among his relatives. So he's left home, he's on his journey, and he's kind of facing up to the music. And a whole lot of things are going to happen in terms of life's challenges, and he knows it. In fact, he's basically saying, God, you got to help me out. I'm all alone, I'm on my journey, and I know I've been up to no good. So this is the story as we pick it up. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went to, toward Haran. And he happened upon a particular place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and made it a support for his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then behold, the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. 
and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, The Lord is certainly in this place, and I did not know it. In our verse, verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, or this is the gateway to heaven, a ladder between heaven and earth, a portal, if you will, in what we might use today in terms of terminology. And this place of heaven, that he said, this is God's house. He's really describing wherever the presence of God is, that's the heavenly realm. God dwells in the heavenly realm. And he's saying the heavens are here in this place, and I didn't realize it. What he's connecting with is heaven itself. And he's surprised because he's in the realm of the earth. He's realizing there's an intersection here between heaven and the realm that he lives in. Imagine that for a moment. Immortal beings interacting with mortal beings, right? The angels, the latter, God himself, the eternal communicating and relating to the finite. This is a deep, intrinsic need in all of us. We have this longing, a desire, a need to connect with God. And Jacob has just encountered him. Jacob found a portal to heaven. This is a place in which he knew he could pray, and that his prayers would be answered. What would you do if you found a portal? What would you do if you found access to the heavenlies, where there's unlimited resources, unlimited power, unlimited love and grace to meet every need? Wouldn't you access that? Yeah. This is something we all long for. Back to our passage. So Jacob got up early in the morning and took the stone that he had placed as a support for his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on its top. Then he named that place Bethel, which means house of God. But previously, the name of the city had been Luz. Jacob also made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me on this journey that I take, and give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob understood there was a portal. He stumbled into a place where heaven and earth had intersected. And so he realizes, good time to pray. Good time to ask God for whatever my need is. And for him, it was, give me safe passage, provide for me. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm on, on my way to where to pick up a wife. And, and, you know, this is a dangerous journey for anyone to take on their own. God, help me, preserve me, sustain me, and I will make you my God. And this stone, 
which I have set up as a memorial stone, will be God's house. And everything that you give me, I will assuredly give a tenth to you. You'll be my God, and then everything you give me, I'm giving back 10%. Now, I'm telling you right now, as a pastor, I cannot pass up the opportunity to take a lamb trail. It's like a rabbit trail, but it's Jewish, so it's got to be kosher. A A lamb trail, right? Like Abraham, Jacob commits to giving the Lord a tithe of his increase because he realizes that his provision comes from heaven. And because it comes from heaven, he gives back to heaven what heaven requires, 10%. So we find here Jacob doing just like his father did and just like his descendants continue to do, just like we do today. This has always been one of the keys to success and prosperity in life, getting your finances in proper balance. All right. Back to our story. Back to the place where heaven and earth intersect and interact. One of the principles in biblical interpretation is understanding that the Torah is always pointing to spiritual realities that itself does not possess nor can give. I want to say that again. Because sometimes in messianic groups, we get this all mixed up. We think Torah is the goal. We think Torah is primary. We think Torah is everything. And it's not. Let me say this again. This is a principle in interpreting the biblical text. If you don't get this principle right in your your toolbox among the other tools that you use to study the Word of God, then you're always going to be missing the forest for the trees. Again, one of the principles in biblical interpretation is understanding that the Torah is always pointing to spiritual realities that itself does not possess nor can give. The Torah is the tutor that instructs us of the truths and realities that are coming in the future. Hebrews 10 and verse 1. For the law, and this is a Greek text, Uh, The Hebrew word would be Torah, but when you get into the Greek, the Jewish uh, translators took the word Torah and translated it with the Greek word nomos, which the English word is law. Okay, so I want you to think of the Torah. The Torah, since it, I'm sorry, the Torah, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the form of those things. And then it goes on to make some other points. What I want to bring to our attention is that the Torah only has the shadows of what is coming. Not the substance, the shadows. It's always pointing to something else, not not to itself. It's pointing forward to something that's still coming. It only gives us types and shadows of the real genuine things that are yet to come to us. A shadow is not very clear when you think about it. You know, if you have your tree and the sun behind it, it casts a shadow. And you can look at the shadow of the tree, right? And what do you see? You see a rough outline of the tree, but not the tree itself. If you turn and look at the tree, 
You can see all the beauty and wonder, intricacies of the tree, the details of the leaves, everything, right? In contrast to the rough outline of the tree. That's the shadow. The Torah says it has a bunch of shadows. It's pointing towards the very things that cast the shadows, those things that are still coming. And if we can understand that, then we're going to take what we're seeing in the Torah and we're going to look for the genuine versus people looking to the Torah as if it's the genuine and then trying to make a big deal out of the shadow. And therefore, they miss the genuine article. They think the shadow's the genuine article. It's a shadow. It's pointing to something else. And that's why we always get to look at Moses and say, what does he mean and what is he referring to? What is this pointing us towards? If we do that, then we're going to have some great, great understandings when it comes to the Word of God. The question we all must ask when studying the Torah is this. What is this passage or idea referring to? What is the actual genuine reality that the Torah is talking about? So let's ask some questions. Is there really a place where heaven and earth intersect and interact? In the story of Jacob, it's trying to tell us something. The story is meant to inform us and point us to some reality that's related to this story. So where is this place? Is there really a place where heaven and earth intersect and interact? Is there a portal, right? A stairway, a gateway into this spiritual realm that we all intuitively know exists. That very place that we all desire to interact with. Jacob's ladder revealed. Let's jump all the way forward to Yeshua. And I'm going to give away the sizzle. You already know it. But the law and the prophets, they're all about him. All the types of shadows are about him. The temple is about him. The priesthood, everything. It's about him. The sacrifices, yeah, they're going to find their fullness in Yeshua. So let's look there. John chapter 1. This is early, early, early in the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist has just identified Jesus as the Messiah, and he's pointing his disciples towards Jesus. So this is very early on in Galilee where it all started. It says the next day, verses 43 through 51 of John chapter 1, the next day he, Jesus, decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets, in the Torah and the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. That probably doesn't pop like it would have done in Nathanael's ears. They're all waiting for the Messiah. They got all kinds of ideas about who the Messiah is going to be and what he's going to do. This is the long-awaited hope of all of Israel. 
And now they're saying to Nathanael, we found him. The one that the Torah and the prophets wrote about is here. We know where he is. Come and see him. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph, the one who lives in Nazareth. So you can imagine Nathaniel, right? You can imagine what he's thinking. Like, really? You found him? You found the Messiah? Like he needs to be found, right? And it's Jesus, the son of Joseph? Now, I don't know that Nathaniel knew who that was, uh, probably not. But for everyone else that knew Jesus, what was the storyline about Jesus? Oh, he's the illegitimate son of Mary who said that she never slept with anyone and that it was the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, I mean, really, his, his detractors basically called him a bastard. They said he was illegitimate in his birth, cursed. And yet you're saying he's the one that Moses wrote about? And the prophets prophesied about? They said, come and see. Well, I'm sorry. Let me pick up verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good be from Nazareth? Okay, so, I, you know, Na- Nazareth was like probably one of, the, one of the more troubled cities, shall we say. I was going to say, I was going to use one of the cities in Colorado, you know, it'd be like this city, but I can't say that because someone might be from that city. And so anyway, it's derogatory. Can anyone, can anything good come out of Nazareth, all right? Philip said, well, come and see. Come and see for yourself, Nathaniel. So Nathaniel goes with them. They're bringing him to Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, which is interesting, because how would he know that Philip called him? Right? You, You can bet Nathanael's like, What? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Been watching The Chosen? You see your hands, every eye closed, every head bowed. Been watching The Chosen. Did you see that, that, that story about Nathaniel, right? Broken, disillusioned, at the end of its ropes, walks for like a couple miles out to this fig tree out in the middle of nowhere, it sits and weeps, broken, discouraged. Yeah, the story comes to life really gives a great depiction of what that story or what that impact would have been in Nathaniel. Because in the answer, you see uh, the overwhelming faith now that turns on a dime for Nathaniel. He answers and says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus gives him a prophetic word. Jesus speaks something to him that Jesus could not have known other than God revealing it to him. And Nathaniel realizes, yes, he's the one. He's the one we've been waiting for, the one that Moses told us would come, the very king of Israel. 
Jesus answers and says to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And I'm sure that that thrilled Nathaniel's heart. Being a Jew, he would know that the Messiah is a miracle worker and that this was really kind of low on the scale of miracles compared to what Messiah would actually be doing. So Nathaniel's in. He is smitten, enthralled, and a follower of Jesus from this point on. Verse 51 says this, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you, Nathaniel, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Keep that slide up there for a moment. Now, Nathaniel, being Jewish, is going to have some trigger points. He's going to know the story of Jacob inside and out. Every Jew would. Jacob's like a celebrated patriarch of Israel. And so here he is saying to Nathanael, like Jacob, your father, you're going to have a vision too, just like his vision, where you see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. But the shift here is what? On the Son of Man. Again, Genesis 28, 12 through 13. Jacob had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then behold, the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Angels ascending and descending on this ladder that's pointing forward to the reality of Jesus himself. But before we get there, let me just give the background to what this would have been in, 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 in the Jewish hearing, both in Jacob's time and then much later it's developed and comes into its fullness. Angels. Angels are divine, immortal beings. And in angelology, which I don't have time to go into any detail, but let me give you some big pictures. Uh, there's a hierarchy in the heavenly realm among these beings. And just in a very broad and general way, uh, this hierarchy basically has within it a myriad of angels, divine beings, and then above them, a few angels that are referred to in Scripture as being archangels or angels that oversee all the other angels. And then you have above the archangels these creatures that are very, very just in the description, just almost bizarre. And they're called the cherubim and the seraphim. And they're the guardians of the throne where God dwells. They guard and protect. They're the closest to, to God himself. And then you have the arch, archangels below them and then all the myriads of angels below them. And in Jacob's story, he's watching these angels coming down the ladder and going up the ladder. I'm going to read this to you. The cherubim and the seraphim, the guardian angels, the throne guardians. 
They protect God and his throne room. Revelation 4, 8 says, and the four living creatures. And, and if you go and study what they look like, yeah, they are like, they're the real deal. Watch out Narnia and Lord of the Rings. In fact, that's where they get this stuff, right? And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, which are the description in the Tanakh of the seraphim. They have six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Those are the throne guardians. And then you have, of course, the archangels who oversee the, the, the myriads of angels that are given to us. So some angels are assigned to God himself, and then the vast majority of the angels are assigned to us. They're given to us to help and protect us. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of the angels, are not all the ministering spirits sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. These divine beings are powerful, wise beings, and they're assigned to you and me. We've heard the term guardian angel, right? Everyone has a guardian angel. Well, not only does everyone have a guardian angel, chances are you have a number of angels assigned to you, to watch over you, to protect you, to help you, to bring provision to you, yeah, see, if we know that and can access that, life's going to be somewhat easier. The persecution, the challenges, a little bit easier to cope with and overcome. If you know how to use the angels given to you, assigned to you, to help you. They receive your prayers. They take your prayers into the heavenlies. They, they petition the king on your behalf. They get the answer. They bring it down and they give it to you. They, they bring you your breakthroughs. They deliver the answers of God and the provision of God and the promises of God. This is the meaning of Jacob's dream. As we move that forward to the genuine article, what we find out is the portal between heaven and earth is the Messiah. And in him, we have these powerful, immortal angels given to help us. I want to give you an example. This is Daniel, the story of Daniel. And Daniel, he's had multiple visions, of course, over a period of years. He has this one that really shakes him up. It's so, it's so intense that he decides to fast for three weeks. He, he, he just, I mean, he goes on a hard fast for three weeks and he's exhausted and he has been turned upside down and he's been crying out to heaven. So I want to find my place in the story because I don't have time to read the whole thing. So he appears to Daniel, shows up, this angel, and he says to Daniel, you who are treasured, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand at your place, for I have been sent to you. When he had spoken this word to me, 
I stood up, trembling. Then he said to me, and, and the description of the angel, when you, when you see the description, which I don't have time to do, I mean, it's a pretty supernatural, very, very large being. It would be totally overwhelming for anyone to stand in the presence of one of these divine beings and, and just, just how they're described. Certainly don't look like they're human, right? Divine, majestic beings. So Daniel stood up trembling before this angel. Then the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, the vision, and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Daniel prayed. His angel took it up to heaven. They sent another angel down to help Daniel. The angel finally arrives on the 21st day. Daniel's exhausted. He's been, I think, on a water fast, not even, not even a vegetable. I mean, he's been like not taking care of himself, living on the river bank. And this angel finally appears and says, hey, your prayer was heard. Here's the answer. I'm here now, right? Daniel's probably thinking, great. Why did it take so long, right? Well, that would be the question. Why did it take so long? And this is what the angel says. Your words were heard. I've come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. Daniel, your prayers were heard right away. I came in response right away. But the prince of Persia, which is talking about a demonic principality over this pagan empire, kept me from getting to you. This is what we call spiritual warfare, right? In the angelic realm. So they would have been here, but the prince of Persia kept me at bay. And then behold, Michael, who's Michael? An archangel, right? Much bigger and stronger and wiser, more powerful, authoritative than the angel that was sent to Daniel. One of the chief of the angels says that one of the chief princes came to help me. For I'd been left there with the kings of Persia. So Michael, he comes, he probably has an entourage of warring angels, and they take care of some spiritual warfare with those demonic principalities that are over that territory called Persia. And then this angel is now freed up to go forward. And now he's shown up to help Daniel. It says, now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the latter days because the vision pertains to the days still future. Let me just summarize now before we go on. In Messiah, angels are divine beings who are assigned to help you, protect you, watch over you, bring provision to you, Bring your breakthroughs to you. That's what they do. And sometimes it takes a while to get back because of the demonic warfare that's going on in the heavenlies. But make no mistake about it. Your answers are going to come. It's just a matter of timing. And we need to understand that so that we can weather the storms when it feels like our prayers weren't heard or weren't answered. Yeah, sometimes there's delays because of the evil present in that realm and in our realm. 
Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder was only a vision pointing forward to the genuine article. The portal to heaven is Jesus. John 14, 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also will be. And you know the way where I'm going. You know the way to heaven, the portal, right? The gate, you know the stairway to heaven. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And where does the Father dwell? In heaven. And no one goes to the Father. No one traverses a portal into heaven except through me. I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. I'm the divine Son of God who is also the Son of Man, fully human. I am heaven and earth in its fullness. And it's only through me that anyone will have access to the heavenly realm where the Father dwells. All who bow their knees and hearts to Jesus as Savior and King will experience a life-giving encounter with God, the creator of all things seen and unseen. This is our introduction to the heavenly realm. This is where we begin to interface with the angels of heaven. This is where we experience our homecoming, right? Think about that, right? When you encounter Jesus himself, you experience a foretaste of heaven. You experience the, the love of the Father, right? You experience the forgiveness of your sins. You get born again in that experience. I mean, that is just absolutely exciting in every sense. And this is what is offered through the Son of Man. Our hearts long for heaven, to connect with heaven. In Jesus, we connect. It's a homecoming. I got born again. I was such a mess. I was, I was such a mess. So alienated from God. So angry and bitter. And when I got born again, I mean, the instant I asked Jesus into my heart and into my life as my Savior and my Lord, I mean, just like instantaneously, instantaneously. It was like, I described it for years. My early years, when people asked me, well, what was that experience like? I told them, I was like, I'm home. I'm home. I felt like I was home. They're like, what do you mean you're home? No, I feel like I'm where God always wanted me. In his presence, at home with him, it was a homecoming. This world's dark, it's cruel, it's confusing. It's not home. That's not our home. We have this longing for home that we used to have in the garden 
of Eden when God was present with us daily, right? Well, I'm back now. I'm home now. I'm with God now. You know, it was just so overwhelming. I always described it as, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm at home. It's a homecoming. Outside of Jesus, no one comes into a life-giving, transformational relationship with God. Because that's the way God set it up. If that's problematic, take it to the Father. He's the one that set it up that way. Only through my son, because he's going to suffer the humiliation, and the false accusations, being spit and mocked. He's the king of the universe. And the de- de- degradation that they're going to do to my son and his suffering, the immense suffering that he's going to endure, carrying the weight of the sin of the world where he actually becomes sin. He who knew no sin will become sin. He's the consummate. All of evil is in him at that point that he dies on the cross to make an atonement so that we can be forgiven for that evil. You think the Father's going to say, oh yeah, you can make it some other way? That would so dishonor his son and the price he paid. The Father says, no, only through my son. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. And then the father says earlier in John, and no one comes to my son unless I draw him. It's a divine conspiracy. Jesus says, I'm going to cover your back, father. Father says, I'm going to cover your back, son. So that exclusivity of who Jesus is, if that's problematic, take it up with God. Now, in addition to our born-again experience and our introduction to heaven and the angelic realm, in addition to this extraordinary relationship with God, you will have access to the heavenlies for all of your earthly and spiritual needs. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For as many as are the promises of God... I'm sorry, let me reread that. For as many as the promises of God are... In him, Jesus, they are yes. Therefore, through him also is our amen to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God, every promise that God ever made, you can go and collect them. There's lots of promises that God has made. Many of those were contingent on the obedience of the people, by the way. But under the new covenant, it's a better covenant based on better promises, better provisions. Based on his obedience, the promises are yes. Because he was obedient, God says, in his name, I will give you all the promises. I'll fulfill all the promises in his name. All the promises of God are yes and amen. I mean, come on. That is so good. Jesus goes on to say in John Uh, Chapter 14 and verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, I'm the portal. I have favor with the Father. My Father loves me. If you come through me and ask, whatever you ask, I will do. 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now that actually is a little bit more complicated than what it states. But suffice it to say, it's beautiful. It's inspiring. It gives hope to the hopeless. It is the very answer of our needs as human beings. James 4 kind of qualifies this, gives some balance to this. James, in his letter to his community, he says this in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. The reason you don't have is because you don't ask. And the reason probably, I'm ad-libbing here, this is my commentary. The reason you don't ask is probably because you don't understand that you can ask, that you have a portal to heaven, that in Jesus Christ, angels come to serve you, that you can ask of the Father and the angels will take that. Instead of complaining, instead of murmuring, get your faith on, right? Instead of murmuring about your circumstances, ask God to help you and your angel will take your prayer up and bring your prayer back, right? So first we got to learn to have faith that we have this portal and that angels are here. I send angels out all the time. I do. I, I do. I don't, know, I don't know if they obey me, but I know they obey the Son of God. So I always package my prayers and ask my angel, take it up. I need a quick answer. You know, in Jesus' name, make sure it gets there. No stopping along the way to get some of that heavenly pizza. Get up there, you know. And then whatever provision I need, I always say to the angels, look, I've asked for this. Go get it. Bring that in. I need this. Reach up into heaven, get some provision, bring it back to me, please. In Jesus' name. Okay, so, and I always thank, I always thank my angels. I don't know how many times that I should have been dead. I was, I, in fact, early in ministry one night, we were with uh, our ministry team, our leaders, and we prayed late into the night. We, we had this prayer time that we just prayed and prayed and prayed and we were going to open up and birth some ministry and, and we we're getting ready to do that. And there's always spiritual attack whenever you step out in something like that. So we're driving home, uh, coming down I-25 about midnight and uh, Don looks over at me and she says, well, I wonder what the blowback from the enemy's cabin's going to be. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, you know, there's always blowback. So I wonder how the devil's going to try to take us out next. Well, she's telling me, I, you know, I wonder how the devil's going to take us out next while she's saying that on I-25 at midnight, flying down the road with cement dividers for the northbound lane and the southbound lane. I'm looking in the southbound lane at two headlights of a car coming straight at us. And he's just flying at top speed. And she had no sooner said that, and I said, Don, look, he's in the wrong lane. And I'm realizing he can't get over because of the, the cement um, corridors, the, you know. And I thought, oh, man, so we're watching him. The car in front of us swerves at the last moment. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, car in front of us swerves at the last moment and kind of, you know, gets out of the way. 
And so I'm thinking, wow, the, the car that's coming at us didn't, didn't even turn. You know, it's not like they both swerved away from each other. No, his car's coming straight, and he swerved, and that car is just coming straight. We're the next one in line. We're the next one. From me to the sound booth. From me to the sound booth, right? And I'm thinking to myself, you can think really quick when you're scared. No, it's matrix stuff where you can like think a thousand thoughts in a microsecond, you know, play out all kinds of scenarios, right? So I'm thinking to myself, slow down. I thought, no, if I slow down and go too slow, he could really slam me. I need to keep my speed up and just maneuver, you know? Now I'm thinking right or left, right or left, because it's like chicken, right? And I'm thinking, I want to pull him into me, and I don't want to go too early if he's swerving that way, because, you know, this is, you only got one shot of this, Mark, you know? And so I did. I stayed straight, straight until the last, last second. I swerved to the right like the, the first guy did. And this car went right by me. I mean, our, I, he our mirrors should have hit. That's how close they were. And as he went by me, I turned, and I, I looked, and he was just not even, he didn't even look at me. It's like he was in a stare, you know? And he just goes right by me. And I said, oh, my God. I looked up in the, the river in the mirror, you know. And as I looked up in the river in the mirror, the car behind us, he hit head on. Boom. And it was so loud. Glass everywhere. And this car is just, you know, twirling on the road, you know. And we pulled over. And, and so we got out, ran up there. And these people got out of their car. Half the front of the car was gone. It blew off the axle, the tire. It just like cut that little car in half. It was a big four-door Cadillac Eldorado. It was a big car. All four tires on the Cadillac were blown up. This blew, blew the tires up on the impact, uh, but most of the damage was on the small car that it hit. That car was like just twirling like it was like nothing. So these people got out and they'd been drinking. They were kind of like drunk. I think that's what saved them. I'm not making a case for drinking and driving. Okay, but anyway, they get out and they're like, they got glass in their forehead, and, you know, we kind of help them over to the side of the road, and they're like, did you see that? Unbelievable, you know. I can't believe we're even alive, you know. I was like, just sit down, you know, because we knew the police were on the way, and certainly ambulance and fire, and so, uh, but this other guy uh, was still in his car up the road. The first car had a bunch of teenagers in it, young, young people. They came over to us, too, and they go, did you see that? Did you see that, you know? I said, yeah, it's unbelievable, you know. And this one kid says, man, that was like an attack of the enemy. He says, my dad's a pastor. He says, I'm getting back to church, man. He says, I, I am fooling around no more, man. The devil tried to take us out, you know. We're like, yeah, repent, you know. But I told Don, I said, Don, if we could have seen in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm, I think what we would have saw is demons. Because this guy was all, he was drugged out of his mind. He was just drugged up um, and just, just didn't even realize, he, he didn't even realize what he was doing, right? I said, when we drove by them, I, I would have ventured that in the spirit realm, there would have been demons motivating this guy, leading this guy, right? Out to destroy lives. And that our angels were right there with us. And I think as we went by, they were clashing swords, man. Just boom! You know, there, there was a great conflict in the spirit realm. Because we're in ministry. We have a, a, a mandate from God. 
And our angels are going to war to make sure that we're safe doing that. So I said all that to say, if you, if you knew and understood the angels of God in your life, around your life, you would realize that no matter what you encounter, no matter what you go through, everything's going to be okay. Heaven's on your side. And that should give us all great encouragement. It's 3 o'clock. I, I didn't even finish. I'm sorry, but I've been late several weeks in a row. And I, I don't want to get the teachers and leaders mad, so I'm going to end right now, on time. I'm on time. Everyone note that, because I've been in trouble lately. I'll finish this next week, probably. So Jesus is your gateway to heaven. Angels are on your side. Intercede, ask, trust in him, and let him transform your life.